Welcome to the Deptford Cinema Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to Deptford Cinema's podcast. I'm Caroline, I volunteer at Deptford Cinema and I help to run the Film and Book Club which happens every second Sunday and we always like to pair a film with a book and then discuss it very informally afterwards over tea and cake. So sometimes the films that we choose for the club are adaptations from books and other times the films and books um, we put together because they have common themes. So before lockdown, we had planned to screen The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is one of our favourite films. And we had paired it with a book by a local author, Anita Strasser, who had just written her first book called Deptford is Changing. And we thought it would be a really great match because of the themes of regeneration. So the podcast is divided into two parts. The first part, I talk to Anita over Zoom. And then the second half is Tashi and Ben, who also volunteer at the cinema. And they are talking about what they love about the film. Just a a quick note that these recordings were made in April, actually at the height of lockdown. And before the death of George Floyd and the resulting Black Lives Matter campaign. I think we would have had a different conversation if we had recorded this after that time. Okay, I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast and it will inspire you to either watch the film if you haven't already and to definitely have a look and a read of Anita's wonderful book, Deptford is Changing. Hi everyone, today we are joined by Anita Strasser, artist, activist and researcher, who has just published her new book, Deptford is Changing. So welcome Anita. Hi, thank you. (laughs) Could you tell me a little bit about yourself first and kind of what led you to start this research project that resulted in your book? I arrived in Deptford uh, the first time in 2007 and I came here for um, a job. I was teaching at a college in the Macmillan student village on Creek Road. I fell in love with Deptford straight away. Um, um, so surely my, my love affair with Deptford is a lot to do with the, you know, the, the connections and relationships I built um, straight from the beginning. Um, and because I studied photography and for me, photography has always been a tool for to, to build social relationships was this project on the high street where I uh, photographed and interviewed people uh-huh. and it was a way for me to understand the place that I'd chosen to live in so I wanted this it, it was a way of meeting people it was a way of trying to understand you know the historical context of Deptford its social uh, and cultural fabric and kind of understanding how people see Deptford from their own perspectives and right um, and you know it was there where I met uh, so many people I became you know a, a customer in in a lot of the shops I met a lot of people that I'm still friends with today or I still shop in the same shops today started working with my neighbors and doing kind of different 
kind of interventions using photography and other things. I started up a little gardening project and kind of, yeah, sort of really using photography and, and the research as well to kind of embed myself within my new neighbourhood. So it started with lots of little mini projects and building relationships and, and it kind of happened quite organically, it sounds. From day one, I just became aware, you know, this idea of change and regeneration was oh. just constantly part of the conversations. I became aware of people being very concerned about what was happening to the area, whether they can still afford living here in the future, whether it is going to become the new shortage of those, no or not. Um, so that was part of it from day one, really. So could you briefly outline some of those issues for residents and workers, how it affected them? what they they thought about the changes in Deptford I know your your book really really goes into depth but maybe you could briefly outline some of those I think I mean many of the main issues are the ones that we're sort of aware of from the news as well obviously you know increased property prices particularly when um, real estate is kind of dependent on transnational money and how people just can't afford properties anymore and the kind of usual things of you know the increase in uh, the figures of homelessness um, mental health issues anxieties um, family networks being broken up because people just simply can't afford to live in the same areas where they grew up so I think I think all of these issues that we that are I think by now fairly familiar are part of the book and I wanted to kind of highlight them. But I think what I also really wanted to highlight was almost like an existential crisis because what I was saying before that you know place and a relationship to a place is usually connected to social relationships and the relationships that we build within a place. And this is family, but this is friends, and you know this idea of communities and there. Uh, for the community and try to make up for some of the losses and um, that. I think that's one of the um, extraordinary things about Deptford, isn't it? I think the strength of community and the volunteers that kind of are often behind it. So, so many kind of people and, and groups participated in your project and they all had quite varied responses to these kind of big, you know, like you say, headline issues. You know, some of them wanted to counter that or you know or kind of work as activists some came together as more of a solidarity thing to survive it and others see maybe a, an opportunity for them even um, some feel very threatened by it so but how can we sustain this kind of you know when I say we I mean Deptford Cinema because we're part of that community too how do you think we can sustain our presence and that for that presence to thrive yeah, I, I mean, it's really, really tough. I mean, you know, I, I'm aware of so many people kind of suffering. I mean, I know people sit up all night sometimes, you know, myself included, just sort of scouring documents and trying to understand them and trying to find a way of of putting up resistance. We lose some of the people who can or who have in the past participated because they're moving out because they can't stand it anymore or because they've been pushed out or we lose spaces where communities can assemble and organize like you know Tide Mill Garden for example it is getting harder and harder and I think again this speaks for Deptford because Deptford people I think are very incredibly resilient in that way and but I think it's a really it's a fair it's a fair question and I'm not sure I have the answer for this but we kind of need to continue to support each other I think what I liked about the campaigns as well was the kind of you know the creative element of it I think I think the arts can be really useful in keeping up motivation i mean the arts obviously it's a very tricky 
issue to navigate because of course there is also a lot of the arts that kind of is counterproductive to putting up resistance because it's either kind of a bit more complicit but at the same time the arts can be really really motivating and I felt that very strongly with Tidemill campaign for example how we kept each other kind of motivated with this very creative element. Your book is so lovely because of its like multiplicity of the views of participants and their backgrounds and you described earlier about how uh, you gradually got to know people became customers in shops but could you describe maybe one relationship that evolved during the research that kind of it would illustrate your the process of it? Wow <laughs> that's really really hard because I've built so many wonderful relationships and in a way, being here today has come out of that project because I met you as well um, through the work. But yeah, it's true. Um, I think, you know, if I had to choose one, I'd like to choose a relationship I built up with Jackie, an 80-year-old lady who very sadly passed away uh, because of coronavirus two months ago. So perhaps I could honour her yes. by mentioning the relationship that I built with her. She was a member of uh, Meet Me at the Albany, which is a creative arts club for the over 60s. And she, she's had a really, really tough life and she wasn't in a good place before she joined that club. And, you know, she came to life during that, you know, joining that club. And she kind of, she always said she discovered the creativity that she never knew she had. Oh, wow. Started writing poetry. And, and I built a very, very personal relationship with Jackie. It was just, we just connected. She had this very, very special energy. Um, she was just so full of life and so positive despite her struggles and we just always you know and I bumped into her every now and then outside Deptford Lounge and we'd sit down and just have a chat and you know she was lights of my day and she always told me that I lit up her day and really beautiful. That's a really moving story actually and um, and it kind of actually I found myself getting quite emotional reading your book actually recognizing a lot of the people in the book or just even knowing their faces and then discovering their stories and also you know some of the things that I was involved in and witnessed um, like the brutal destruction of Tidemill Gardens and I kind of wondered how you felt as a researcher I mean you've actually probably answered it in the last question about is it possible to maintain that objective distance or is that even desirable really in a project like this? You must have got quite emotionally tangled with a lot of the people and campaigns. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting you say, is it even desirable? And, you know, my answer here is absolutely not. And I also, I, I take issue anyway, in a way, with this idea of the objective research. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that uh, anyone can approach a, pro a project like this from a neutral position, you know. I don't know, there's Howard S. Becker is one of my favorite writers and he, he wrote this article on whose side are you on? And he kind of really describes this, you know, you can't be neutral. And in a project like this, it's not my intention even to be neutral. Of course, you, you know, you express sympathy for a particular group of people and their viewpoints. And, and a lot of the issues relate to myself. I mean, I'm a resident of Deptford. Of course, you have to maintain, you know, the, the critical distance. I mean, it comes kind of a bit with hindsight, with time, you know, I'm in the process of writing my thesis. I will actually reflect a lot on this. It's a complex thing, isn't it? Yeah, very. So, um, Elise, do you have a favourite place in Deptford? Uh, is it, again, that's a super difficult question, isn't it? Yeah. You know, do you think this uh, special place will still be, will be affected by the changes that you're seeing? 
Hmm. Um, that is a hard question. Uh, I mean, I could list a few places that I love, but I think one of the things about Deptford, I think it's, you know, the high street, which I feel yeah. is kind of yeah. the centre that holds it all together and the market. And I think the reason why I'm saying this is not so much for the high street itself as a physical place, but what I love about it, and this, is, this has also come out of the work that I've done, the amount of work that I've done, that I can't go down the high street without meeting or bumping into someone yeah that's true and i love that you know <laughs> i mean if i ever just need to get a pint of milk i can't do it i have to go somewhere else because i need <laughs> two hours to get that pint of milk but i love this and, and all the characters that for me just make the high street and if you took these people out you know um it, it wouldn't be the same high street yeah the market's wonderful yeah so you know with your question how would it change in 10 years time i mean i think if you took the market away i think in a way you would rip out the heart of Jeopardy. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts or would like to get involved as a volunteer, please email us at info at depthedcinema.org. How about this new unexpected sort of situation we find ourselves in with the COVID-19 crisis? I mean, you've got so many contacts with individuals and groups now. How have they kind of responded? Um, are they coping with this, these huge changes? Well, I think it varies. I mean, I, I know a lot of elderly people are very vulnerable. I mean, you know, Jackie passed away and I know she's not the only one who passed away from uh, that group of people. Yeah. I mean, what I have found generally and from a community group's perspective, what really impresses me is how people have responded and how people have adapted so quickly to yeah. continue. So again, this idea of, you know, volunteering and to continue to care for the local population. I mean, you take, for example, the Evelyn Community Centre and the community store. I mean, I know oh, yes. they are working tirelessly on a voluntary basis to feed, you know, the poor. Or you think yeah. about, you know, the, the field and the pie and mash, the mutual aid centre. I mean, I'm, I just, I have such huge respect for what they're doing because they're preparing food parcels, they're delivering them to people who can't go out absolutely incredible and other things i mean you know depth cinema i mean what, what you guys are doing i think is incredible you know you've adapted so quickly to making content available online and for free there's you know meet me at the albany that arts club i was talking about before they continue to to look after their members and you know they're preparing a kind of a radio show and doing all sorts of things so it's incredible again and i think that really speaks of the spirit of Deptford. yeah before the covid19 crisis we were going to screen the last black man in San Francisco and we were going to pair it with your book we were going to invite you along as you know um, to talk about your book and we chose it because of the really personal story of that film set within the wider context of regeneration and I know that you've also seen the film what kind of connections do you see between that film and what you know you've experienced in Deptford? Yeah, it is, as you say, it is because, you know, my book kind of covers really the kind of the personal stories. And from the personal stories, you then look at the kind of wide, broader kind of public issues that are connected to that. What I find especially moving about the, the film uh, and also what comes across in some of the stories that, that are in the book are this kind of this connection to home. This real personal impact it is having on people's lives and you know when I watched the film I mean I, I constantly had to think of um, the story uh, on page 211 Christian story the heading I want to live in this home for the rest of my life 
and it's, it's really just how painful it is when you when you are threatened or when you do actually lose your your family home and our roots are just so important to us you know our, our family history that because at the moment it's the only stable thing that we have it's the only thing we get stability from is history because the future is just so unpredictable yeah and i think the film really depicts the kind of idea how important family history is and kind of and the connection obviously he did grow up in this house and yeah. wanted to go back there because you know his life is unstable he's moving from one place to another he's staying with a friend doesn't have his own home and just this thought of you know being rooted yes uh, in place and what i find as well is that you know despite the fact that we live in a globalized world and you know that a large part of the population is transient and mobile right. but i think what we forget get with this kind of space time compression is that a large majority actually of people in the world are actually still rooted in place yeah and do not have that mobile lifestyle so it's very important for them to be part of something and, and i think the film depicts this really well and i think also you know the pride that you know his parents came over from ghana they worked so hard to be able to afford this flat and it's their family home and you know the way he kind of narrates his childhood memories this is what, what i meant earlier with this kind of existential crisis because this is this home is part of his, his existence it's who he is yeah same in the film that that house was just part of who he is and he just couldn't let go yeah you know if i imagine christian and his family losing their family home uh, it, it would be devastating yeah really interesting anita thank you so much for joining us and just for listeners deptford is changing has only just been published but it is available from the word bookshop so thanks for having me <laughs> it's been lovely talking to you thank you thank you deptford cinema is a volunteer-run community cinema space located in southeast london due to the ongoing coronavirus crisis our current cinema screenings and events have been suspended we are however still active as a community and have migrated online to continue our activities as best possible. We'd like to thank all our patrons, cinema visitors and fellow film lovers in Deptford and around the world for all your continued support during these challenging times. We will continue to serve the community and look forward to reopening the cinema in the near future. Hello, I'm Tashi. And I'm Ben. And we are volunteers at Deptford Cinema. We just finished watching Last Black Man in San Francisco for the second time. Uh, we actually saw it when it first came out in the Barbican Cinema last year. Um, ben, what do you reckon? How did it hold up on a second viewing? Second time round, loved it even more than the first time, I would say. Um, it was even brighter and yeah, I loved it even more the second time round. I think tonally as well, when you're not distracted by what's going to happen in the story, you enjoy the kind of immersion into the colours and the sort of cityscape um, and the, the sort of character development, those sorts of things, when you're not worried about the kind of sense of dread, what's going to happen. Yeah. After having seen it the first time, you know the strange tone of the film and it lets you settle in much faster and accept the weird film for what it is. Watching the film for the second time, something I really noticed um, was the soundtrack. So this is a soundtrack that both you and I love to pieces, it would be fair to say. Um, we've both listened to it many, many times since we saw the film at the Barbican last year. Absolutely caned that. It's one of my favourite work soundtracks to stick on while I'm working. It's lovely, it's varied. 
what I really love about the film and I really noticed from this time around is that the, the central motif kind of melody that if you're going to San Francisco song that's sung and it comes back in lots of different ways as a sort of orchestral score but also um, yeah as a song performed in the film is actually a street busker um, and Mont is going around looking for people to uh, contribute to his play um, and I just really loved that because I, I didn't remember that from the first time. But you get this amazing, rich, like baritone voice singing and it's a close-up of his face and it zooms out and he's just standing on a street corner. And I love the way that the kind of waifs and strays of San Francisco actually create the music and the, the cityscape of the, of the whole film. That motif comes back again and again um, and it's really lovely, sometimes with kind of brassy horns and sometimes um, vocals. Um, but then at the same time, you have these really iconic uh, songs. So the Joni Mitchell, there's a kind of weird choral cover of Blue. That voice of Joni Mitchell that you associate with kind of California dreaming type music and then it, it comes back in quite a haunting way. But then also the Jefferson Airplane kind of cover, like dance remix. Um, and that's really nice. It comes straight out of one of our favourite scenes in the film we were going to talk about, which is the naked man at the bus stop scene. Oh, yeah. Really strange moment. You have Jimmy, the main character, sitting at a bus stop, where he is for most of the film, has to be said. Uh, and then a kind of funny, eccentric San Franciscan guy turns up naked with a funny hat on. A nu nudist man in a, a hat. A nudist man. He sits down, sits down next to Jimmy. They exchange a couple of, you know, in some ways awkward, in some ways quite nice words about when the bus is coming or how long they've been waiting. And then a cable car turns up full of loads of drunk sort of frat party Americans pumping tunes um, and yeah Jimmy and the, the naked guy exchange a couple of sort of looks don't they or they say oh what's happened to this city yeah. it's a great scene they, they look at each other and the, the, the nudist is like what's this city coming to it's so good and it's like it's really funny and it captures the sort of tone of the film really well because it's also very much about kind of gentrification and the change in the city, right? That yeah. Jimmy and the naked guy are the, are the real San Francisco people but the cable cars become this kind of tourist attraction. Um, yeah, I really love it. And then straight after that you get pumping like dance beat turns into the Jefferson Airplane remix. That's a recurring theme of the film, is the finding of beauty in unlikely places. And I think, you know, that's kind of... I, I, I feel like what you're saying in the soundtrack of, you know, this is Jefferson Airplane, but not as you've heard it before. And this is Joni Mitchell, but not as you've heard it before. And here's a beautiful scene of a, of a bay, but actually it's a polluted nuclear waste um, hub with three-eyed fish in it. The whole thing is... Um, beauty from unlikely places and I feel like the message is that you know if you love a place if you love a city and it's your place and you truly are a, a, a resident who who holds the city dear then you notice all those nuances and the things you love about the city aren't the obvious things they are you know all those weird eccentricities that a city has and you totally see that in every frame of the film. Mm. You see beauty in all the unlikely places. You also get the confrontation between Jimmy and Thora Birch, his character, on the bus. It's a little cameo from Thora there, um, where he, he says, you're not allowed to hate the city if you don't love it. Yes. And it's really nice. It's kind of, again, captures that thing of like what, what cities are to people. Exactly. And it's, it's not this kind of fleeting place where there's work or where, you know, there's cheap rent or whatever. Um, the, the kind of like ownership of the city is not about money. Yeah. Right? Where's the value in what it is that I love about the city? I can't monetize that, but 
it's there mm. and, you know, you can feel it in that but, film. But there's a lot of people hanging around on the streets in this film, right? I mm. mean, for a film which is all about housing, it's also about lack of housing or kind of infrastructure. And there's, like, the guys, the kind of gang that hang out at the bus stop. There's Jimmy and um, Mont sitting on that kind of slope waiting for the bus to come. There's a guy who lives in his car. I would say that all of those characters are, in a way, kind of inhabitants of the city. And none of them live in central San Francisco. Right. They're all periphery, kind of marginal marginal figures. Yeah. And just uh, that brings us really nicely onto this kind of theme of gentrification in the film. For me, I think there are some really interesting um, parallels between what we're seeing happening in Deptford um, to what we are seeing unfold in San Francisco in this film. Um, and that kind of uh, com complex story that is gentrification. Right. So in the film, in many ways, it flags a really negative side of gentrification. You have like um, home ownership as seeming this totally ridiculous um, fantastical dream. Right. Um, and that's something that we can really relate to, that idea of never being able to own your own home. Um, that lovely scene where they're running around like children, they've just broken in and they're just so excited to be in the physical space of this kind of beautiful house. Um, but then at the same time, I think the film's doing something a bit more complicated and I wondered if you could kind of share a bit more. Yeah, I mean, the message isn't a black and white one. It'd be easy to paint the invading class as the evil class, but I don't think that's what the film does. Even the woman who is the current inhabitant of the house before she moves out, she's not an evil person. I mean, she's not exactly nice to Jimmy in the opening scene. But then you you do get to connect with her. She's crying, her mother dies, she wants to say goodbye to the film, and she does have an affectionate moment with Jimmy and Mont on the staircase. It's almost in that scene where she's lost the house, she's coming come back to sit on that porch and have a cry because she's needs to say goodbye to the house. Do you remember what she says, though? It's really nice. She says... Um, and you're still here, like the, the craziness of this city, but you're still coming back here to Right, Jimmy. and I, I feel like that scene lets the um, idea of ownership blur a little. Mm. And she concedes in that scene that actually they do have some form of claim over the house. The other thing we talked about yesterday that's kind of funny in the film is this idea that Mont in terms of aesthetically, is like the archetypal hipster. Yeah. And it's really funny that the film kind of twists that. Like, um, in a way, you could see him walking down Deptford High Street, couldn't you, in his yeah. kind of funky Jesus sandals and his cool linen shirts, and he just looks so spectacular the whole time. Yeah. And actually, this film sort of flips that because you get the characters saying, why are you dressing, what does Jimmy's dad say to him? Like, why are you dressing like a white man? Yeah, yeah. And kind of cri criticising all their clothing and the kind of workwear aesthetic that's so hipstery. Mm. And in a way, I think it really flags this thing we were saying that gentrification is complicated. It's about displacement of peoples and kind of communities, but it also comes with its own kind of, um, I don't know, it's cool aesthetic and it's nice bars and cafes and stuff like that. And mm, mm. Um, I think... Yeah, in a way, the film deals with that really well. Yeah, yeah, the stylization of the film is quite a gentrified, hip stylization, um, even though it deals with the opposite side of the tracks. Yeah, so just to come back to the soundtrack, I don't know if you've listened to that final track on the soundtrack, the bonus track. It's, it's Jimmy Fails talking about um, first meeting Mont. The film is semi-autobiographical. Jimmy Fails and Mont are real people. And he tells the story about when he, um, he first met Montgomery and they were at school and Jimmy was being bullied by a set of other kids for the clothes he was wearing. And Mont manages to 
um, diffuse the situation by bringing the attention onto himself in a stupid way. He does this stupid dance and cause and manages to divert the attention of the bullies onto himself and he then receives a beating instead. Um, and then the two of them form this friendship. So that, that, that exact scene isn't in the film, obviously, because the, the school days are behind them in the film. But there is a similar scene when um, the character called... Kofi is being bullied by his um, peers on the street corner. He's being accused of having run away and they're all shouting at him and it's getting quite heated. And Mont sweeps in in this strange, enigmatic way and pretends to be a director as if they were all casts in a film that he's directing and tells them that they're doing a great job and that he needs to bring this up and or that, that he's just perfect. And, and he looks Kofi in the eye and says, you're fine you're fine, and then sweeps away and manages to take all this attention off of Kofi and bring it onto himself. And uh, you get to see all the, the, the beautiful faces whilst they're shouting. Again, it's beauty from an unlikely place. Mm. I mean, it's everywhere. Now. And also, like, street as theatre, right? There's yeah. quite a lot of stuff where... I think there's a bit where you see Mont sketching and he sketches the scene of the kids fighting and he does a kind of big... Um, like proscenium arch type theatre thing around it, you know, like big velvet curtains. Right. And he's just added that on as this kind of fantastical thing. And elsewhere he talks about Brecht, doesn't he, and other kind of like experimental avant-garde theatre practitioners. Yeah. The Philistines, they left Brecht. Right, and that's another, so in a way that's another quite playful thing in the film, mm. is the sort of um, breaking down of the fourth wall and the sort of, that thing you're saying about him going over and giving them um, directorial sort of tips. And actually, that's really playful if it is semi-autobiographical. Mm. The director's kind of placing himself in the film. True. Fantastic film. Fantastic film. Definitely recommend it. And a really nice companion to thinking about gentrification in Deptford, which is, yeah, a very pressing um, but complex issue. We're all complicit, maybe. Um, and that was Tashi and Ben from the Deptford Cinema Film and Book Club discussing Last Black Man in San Francisco uh, from 2019. Thank you for listening to the Deptford Cinema Podcast. For more information about our current online activities, please visit our website, www.deptfordcinema.org. Deptford Cinema. Deptford Cinema, the right place for film lovers.